Welcome to the Jesus Never Ran podcast, where we focus on taking time in this life to make a difference in this world. I'm your host, Matt Kinzera. Let's take a walk. In this episode, I am going to do my absolute best to share with you why the culture that we live in and how we live in our American culture seems contradictory to what is laid out for us in the Bible and how a lot of what we're experiencing that is negative in our culture is because we are really looking at things upside down from the wrong angle, however you want to put it. So that's what we're doing this week. Get ready. Each day we are reminded of the role our faith plays in our lives, but does it play a role in our finances as well? Now for the members of Thrivent Financial, it does. For over a century, Thrivent has been helping Christians blend faith, finances, and generosity. Because it's not just about making more, it's about doing more for your family, your church, and community. Learn more about Thrivent's unique mission by calling Kathy Jensen, Thrivent Financial Representative at 715-231-1662. Disclosures, licensed agent, producer of Thrivent Financial, marketing name for Thrivent Financial for Lutherans, registered representative of Thrivent Investment Management Incorporated, thrivent.com slash disclosures. Hey, Jesus Never Ran listeners. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It means the world to me. We are addressing an issue that is at the root of so many challenges in our culture today. This idea of hurrying around, not paying true attention to people around us, this is causing so much chaos in our world and it is keeping us from connecting with God and it is keeping us from living out the life that we see through Jesus. So here's the thing. You can help continue to get this message out simply by signing up for The Walking Club. The Walking Club is just $5 a month and you can sign up at www.jesusneverrand.com. As a thank you and as a member of The Walking Club, every single month you're going to get a video class to encourage you to continue to slow down your life and walk at the pace that Jesus did. You also will get some great tidbits about finding your purpose in this world because once you slow down, you want to know, hey, what am I going to use this extra time that I have for? So sign up today, The Walking Club, www.jesusneverran.com. I would be so thankful for your support. Anytime we are looking to define the way things should be, that's <laughs> a big statement. But anytime we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we reconnect things with the original intent? What I like to do is I like to look back to the very beginning of the Bible. Now, some of you are listening today and you're thinking, well, the Bible really isn't my source of truth in quotation marks. And that's okay. And others of you are saying, you know, this is my absolute source of truth. And probably other people are somewhere in the middle of the two. All of that is a bit irrelevant for today's conversation. Because what we're going to do is we're going to take a bit of an overview look. And then we're going to see how it seems as if God is calling us to live or showing us how to live. And then we're going to look at our current reality and notice a big shift and a big difference between the two. And then next week in the podcast, what we're going to do is try to figure out how to bridge that gap. So anytime we're looking at this, I like to go back to the very beginning of the Bible. And in the beginning of the Bible, we have the story of Adam and Eve. 
Adam and Eve is a story of God creating everything, God creating creation, and then of course Adam and Eve are the first human beings that he created. And when you picture this, and if you've heard this story before, I'm sure most of you have, when you think about it, I want you to get a picture in your mind of what that looks like to you right now. And the one thing that I'm confident in is that when you think about this, you certainly don't picture Adam and Eve and God like running around or being in any sort of hurry. So Adam creates or Adam is created by God and then God walks with him in the garden. They have this close relationship. God calls Adam to name all of the animals and then after that God says, well, it's not good for man to be alone. So he creates Eve. She comes into the picture. And then I just, when I think of this, I picture Adam and Eve walking through the garden with God, just really enjoying everything he created with no hurry whatsoever. Now, in my mind, and you can certainly dispute this, in my mind, the first time we ever see hurry in the Bible is in the third chapter. So this is in Genesis 3. What happens in Genesis 3 is everything goes from being perfect the way it was meant to be. And then all of a sudden, there's a time when Adam and Eve disobey God. They go against his will for their lives. And we call that sin. Most people would call that sin. And at that time, there's this moment where God is calling for them. And then they go and hide. Now, if you're like me, there's been some times in your life, especially early on, where you knew you were in trouble. You knew you'd done something wrong. Somebody was looking for you, and what did you do? You hid. Now, if you think about that moment, if you've had it in your own life, I can think about my own situations. When I knew somebody was looking for me after I've done something wrong, it wasn't like a calm, well, I'll just look around and find a way to get out of their sightline. No, it's like this mad dash, like you're, you've got caught, you're in trouble, you've got to find a place to hide. And so the first time that we ever see hurry in the Bible is this moment when God is calling out. He's saying, hey, where are you guys at? Now, I'm a big believer that God absolutely knew where they were at. <laughs> but he's calling out, hey, where are you guys? I can't find you. And Adam and Eve, knowing that they screwed up, they are dashing around looking for a place to hide. And so if we think about that, the first time hurry shows up in humanity is when sin enters the world. So before sin enters the world, we don't see any sense of hurry. We don't do we don't see any sense of Adam and Eve or God like running around trying to get to the next thing. As soon as sin enters the world, as soon as there's that disobedience that enters this world, suddenly Adam and Eve are scurrying around trying to find a place to hide. And I think that ever since that moment in humanity <laughs> that we've never stopped since then. So we haven't stopped running around since way back in the days of Adam and Eve when they realized that they messed up and they were trying to find a place to hide. And in so many ways, that is really the underlying reality of hurry. The underlying reality of hurry is we are trying to find a place to hide. We're not comfortable with where we are. We're trying to get to the next place and we're not willing to take our time to get there. So we are going to talk about today the reality that trying to find a place to hide is not a good way to live your life. Has death always given way to light for has the sun been swallowed by the night? Did the tree 
tell the leaves that they must leave or did the wind convince them to flee? Did the shadow follow the light as to always be closer? Were they far too different to be anything but foes to the rivers? As we continue to move throughout the Bible, I get this sense that the default for what is correct is a calmness, a stillness, a steadiness, as opposed to a default like we see in our culture, which is a go faster, go bigger, get more as quick as you can. Now, anytime I think about the Old Testament of the Bible, I think about one passage in particular when God identifies himself. I mentioned this in the last podcast as well. When God identifies himself, he identifies himself as I am. Now, a lot of people look at that and they say, well, what he's doing there is he's saying I am and he's in turn meaning that he's everything. Like he's all encompassing everything there is that is God in some way, shape or form. All good things are all God things. However you want to look at that. I don't think that is why he identified himself like that. I think there was a desire. There's a desire by all of us still to this day to kind of put uh, labels on God or try to understand who God is or somehow have this um, new found uh, you know, belief or, or reality of who we think God is. We want to make him tangible. We, we as human beings are always trying to make God tangible. It gets us into so much trouble. And so when God identifies himself as I am, it just... It is what it is, right? There's another spot where he says, I am who I am. And so God just is God, just as we just are ourselves. So the Bible says that we're made in the image of God. Well, what's the image of God? The image of God is I am. It's this God who just is. And so why can't we then in turn be comfortable with just being ourselves, just being who we are? We so quickly want to put a label on ourselves we want people to be able to understand what we stand for by either saying what we're passionate about or what we do for a career or if we're married or if we have kids. Those are the main things that we'll say if somebody asks us, you know, who we are. But the reality is you can't put into words who we are. We just are. We are this, this being. We are these beings that are impossible to describe in so many ways. Just like God is impossible to describe. So if we are made in the image of God, we just are. And so we need to get comfortable with just being. And then again, that seems to be the default as we look through, you know, history of God and, and God's stories and throughout the Bible. One of my favorite ones is when Moses, so this is a story that just about everybody knows. So Moses brings the Israelites out of Egypt and he thinks he's free and clear. But then when they get into the desert, they notice that the Egyptians are chasing them. He gets right up to the edge of the water. They all look back and they realize that their fate is not looking good. Like they are going to get captured. They're going to be killed or they're going to be brought back into the slavery. Everybody's looking to Moses and saying, this isn't good. And then if you notice in that passage, Moses' default is to stand still. He tells the people, he says, I'm going to stay right here because God is going to rescue me. So there's this understanding that Moses had that when we need God in our lives, the answer is not to run. The answer is not to scurry, to hurry. The answer is to stay still. That was his default. That was his first go-to. Now, 
the story goes on and God actually says, actually, in this situation, I need you to move. And then, of course, the Red Sea parts and all of the Israelites go through the Red Sea safely and God saves them all. But I want to bring you back to the default being to staying where he is. You know, we probably all know that Bible verse as well. It says, be still and know that I am God, which in my mind tells me that the way... The way that I'm going to know God, not that I could ever completely know God, but the way I'm going to know God on any level is to be still. And so if we're going to be a culture, if we're going to be a society that continues to run around, we cannot expect to have much of an understanding of God. Now, when we talk about hurry, I believe that hurry and anxiety are completely linked and they are both creating such an issue in our culture, really worldwide, but I'm specifically talking about our American culture. Now, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, 18% of our population has an anxiety disorder. That's 40 million people. That's almost a 20% rate. That's crazy. Now, the top three reasons that are identified with anxiety with those disorders, safety, health, and finances. Here's something that I find fascinating. The most prevalent, the most prevalent struggles with anxiety, they happen in high-income countries. That was according to Medical News Today in an article that was published in 2018. I would think... As I think of low-income countries, I think of food insecurity. I think of political unrest. I think of more tendency towards violence. That, to me, should bring more anxiety. So it surprises me, like it really surprises me, when we hear that anxiety is the most prevalent in high-income countries. Now, if we look at depression, which is often linked with anxiety, it's really static throughout the world. So... Uh, when we look at depression and we look at America, Europe, other places throughout the world, pretty much the same wherever you go. However, if you look at anxiety, America is head and shoulders above everyone else, which to me means that there's something that we are uniquely getting wrong. We are uniquely getting some things wrong in our country that other countries aren't. Now, uh, uh, yet another study talked about how people who pursue money, looks, and status are more likely to feel anxious. That was done by Tim Kesser and Richard Ryan in a study that was done in the late 90s. And if you think about our American dream, that journal that they actually put out was called Further Examining the American Dream. What's the American dream? Well, you go get what you want, you make a bunch of money, and you look good doing it. <laughs> that basically is our American dream. That's what, we, that's what we pitch to this world. That's what we've always pitched to this world. But these studies are showing that not only is that a horrible idea, it's leading us down a path of anxiety. And when you are anxious, then you have this sense of hurry. And when you have a sense of hurry, you can't be still. And when you can't be still, you're not connecting with God. Now, Dallas Willard, he's a great theologian and author. One of the things that he wrote, and uh, it's one of the best quotes about hurry. Dallas Willard said in his book, Soul Keeping, Hurry is the greatest enemy of souls in our day. Being busy is mostly a condition of our outer world. It is having many things to do. Being hurried is a problem of the soul. 
It's being so preoccupied with myself and what myself has to do that I am no longer able to be fully present with God and fully present with you. There is no way a soul can thrive when it is hurried. Dallas Willard goes on to say, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. I don't, I don't want money. I don't, I don't want cars. I don't, I don't want money. I don't, I don't want cars. You are I want you to think for just a moment. Just, just stop right now and just think for a while. What would life be like without a clock? What if you didn't have a clock? What if you didn't constantly have your cell phone tied to you telling you what time it was? What if there was never like a hard and fast time that you had to be that meeting or that you had to have dinner ready or that you had to be at work? What if we just had a totally different system? Because the reality is clocks have not always been around. Now, throughout history, you know, the clock started with sundials and different water techniques that were used to tell time. And it kind of evolved eventually to get to the place where it is today. In the Middle Ages, actually, arguably the first mechanical clock was created by monks in a monastery. The reason why it was created, and it was very different than what we're talking about today, but the reason why it was created is seven times a day, it would cause a bell to, to ring. And that bell was meant to tell the monks that now it's time to pray. And so the reason that that clock, that first mechanical clock arguably was created, was to remind the monks to stop and pray. So it was intended to help us stop, not to help us hurry around. Now, all of our clocks, all they do is they make us hurry. I mean, how many times do you look at your watch or your clock on your phone and you realize that you have to go faster? That is the norm, right? You look at it and you're like, oop, I'm running out of time. You look at it and you say, ah, I've got to get going, right? But the original mechanical clock by these monks in this monastery, it was telling them to stop what they were doing and focus on prayer. So fascinating to me that something that was created for so much good now can be used for so much evil. And what I mean by evil is hurry. What I mean by evil is we're so bound by something that we're missing out on what God has for us. And so fascinating and, and incredible. Now, the very breath of God. Now, if you again, going back to Genesis, the very breath of God is what, what started our life. So it says that, that God breathed into Adam's nostrils and that's when he came to life. So it makes sense to me that when we are anxious, when we are in a hurry, when we are struggling, that the best thing and some of the best advice we ever hear is to breathe, to reconnect with that original breath of God that's in our lungs. If we're struggling with anxiety, to stop and breathe and focus on your breath. If you've ever done yoga, stop and breathe. If you've ever meditated, stop and focus on your breathing. Connect yourself with your original source of life, which is God breathing breath into Adam. And that breath continues in our bodies, in our lungs to this day. And so when anxiety, when hurry are causing us to struggle, the best thing that we can do is to reconnect to God by reconnecting to our breath, by getting away from our time structures, by getting away from our clocks and not focus on what time it is, where I have to be next, but just simply bringing it down to its most basic form, the most basic thing that brings life to our bodies, the breath that is in our lungs. And when we 
focus on that, it can take away hurry. It can take away anxiety and it can center us better than anything else. Since I gave one great Dallas Willard quote, I feel like I should give a second one. Dallas Willard wrote, the first act of love is always giving attention. The first act of love is always giving attention. That is so true. I feel loved when I receive attention. Somebody will feel loved from me when I give them attention. The reason why this is important is because it's everything that Jesus stood for and everything Jesus showed us. Here's just a little snippet of Jesus's life that just proves this point through and through about how he would stop and give people attention. His ministry, in a lot of ways, started on the Sermon on the Mount when he was, when he was giving this pretty lengthy speech, uh, the lengthiest one that we have recorded at least. He talks about all sorts of things. This is where he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is when he talks about, um, you know, so many different things. He says, you've heard this, but I tell you this. All of that's in the Sermon on the Mount. One of the most important and key issues on the Sermon on the Mount in, in regards to what we're talking about, he says, to not worry. And the whole idea behind not worrying is he says, you know, God takes care of the sparrows. God takes care of the flowers. They don't have to worry about anything. So why do we worry about things? Remember what brings anxiety is fear of safety. Uh, the other thing that brings anxiety is worrying about money or worrying about health. If we take this passage that Jesus speaks, we can just say, hey, God's got us. God's got us. We got we to gotta calm down. Other cool thing about this sermon is that Jesus is sitting down when he gives it. It says Jesus sat down, he asked his disciples to come near him. When we think about speeches, when we think about sermons, it's always a standing posture, which even that is contradictory to what Jesus stands for. So from that point, he gives this great, incredible you know, speech, this foundational, profound, unbelievable speech. From there, he goes from where he is and he runs into a man with leprosy. What does he do? Well, he's got a lot of people that want to keep going after him, so he should just keep going, right? No, he stops. He stops and he gives this man attention and he heals them. He goes on from them. What does he do? He runs into a centurion. And the centurion tells him about somebody in his life that's sick. And what does Jesus do? He stops. He gives him attention and he listens to him. Centurion has faith, so Jesus, even though he's willing to go with him, he doesn't. He just heals him on the spot. From there, Jesus goes and gives Peter's mother attention, and he heals her. After that, he goes into a boat for a while, and what does he do? He doesn't talk and recap things with the disciples. He falls asleep. A storm comes about, and he ends up calming the storm, and, and he tells the disciples that they don't have any faith. So again, are you getting this picture that Jesus is a pretty chill dude? All right, he gets across the lake, and what happens? He runs into a demon-possessed man, and what does he do? He stops. And he gives that man attention and he heals him. He comes back over and he runs into a paralytic and he stops and he gives him attention and he heals him. While he's uh, going about, he runs into Matthew and he stops. He gives him attention. He actually has dinner with him. Now, Jesus starts to get into a speech again and a man named Jairus interrupts him. He's talking about fasting and this man interrupts him and tells him about his daughter. Jesus stops, gives him attention. On his way to heal that daughter of Jairus, a woman who's having this issue of bleeding runs into Jesus and she's asking for help and Jesus stops and he gives her attention and he goes on not only to heal her but to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. After that, two blind men and mute men came to him. What does he do? 
he stops, he gives them attention, and he heals them. Right after that moment, he sends out the 12 disciples and tells them to do what he's been doing. But listen to this. He says, don't bring anything with you. He said, trust that God's going to take care of you. Basically, Jesus is saying, don't be anxious about your health, what you're going to eat, any of that kind of stuff, your safety, none of that. Don't worry about it. God's got you. Don't even take anything with you. God's going to provide for you. You just go out and give people attention and you tell them about the gospel. You give them the attention. They're going to feel love. Don't worry about it. They're going to take care of you. God's going to take care of you. Jesus, and this is just like a short part of Jesus's life, but it's defined on Jesus stopping and giving people attention. And as Dallas Willard says, that is the beginning of love. How many times in our lives do we keep going when we should be stopping to to give somebody attention? How many times do we walk past a person that could really use us to stop and give them attention? How many times do we do that in our own family, with our spouses or with our kids? How many times do they need us to stop and we don't? Because we're so bound by our clocks. We're so bound by our our hurrying around. I believe that the root of so many of the problems in our culture today are right here. They're rooted in hurry. They're rooted in anxiety. They're rooted in an inability to be still. They're rooted in an inability to connect with the very breath that gives us life. They're rooted in the inability to just stop and show love by giving people attention. I hope that you go through this week and you consider that. And I want you to go through this week and think about that as you're going through your everyday. And I challenge you, when you're tempted to keep going, when you're tempted to hurry, I wanna challenge you to take a step backwards and stop and give somebody attention. Because that's how Jesus operated. That's who God is. And just be who you are and connect with God. Connect with Jesus in this beautiful way by slowing down, by stopping the madness of hurry. And as you start living a life by those examples, anxiety is going to start to just leave who you are. Because anxiety is a result of hurry. Anxiety is a result of living a life contrary to the way God desires and contrary to the way that Jesus shows us. Don't forget that the first hurry came with the first sin. When you're going after your dreams, make sure you take a break and enjoy life. My favorite way to do that is on my front porch with my wife, my friends, and my favorite Infinity Beverage. You can go to www.infinitybeverages.com and order online and they will deliver directly to your door. That's Infinity Beverages, proud sponsor of Jesus Never Ran and Dreamers Everywhere.